Welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics and we try to imitate Christ the best way we can. This is your host, Alejandro, and today I bring you Jacob Conrad. Did I say that right? Conrad. Conrad. He is the recruiter at Seton Education Partners. He's going to tell us all about that and how they impact the educational world but we before we do that i have a question for you jacob what is one thing that you have learned in your industry that you didn't know you would have discovered or experienced um this opens a can of worms i won't dive in totally maybe we can talk about this later but um i think uh as like a catholic man i used to be very opposed to technology and and like personal and work lives i thought that like although there are goods to technology that more often than not it's misused and i think it's sort of like I don't know. I think we as lay Catholics in the modern world, and even those who are like clergy and religious have like addictions to technology. Um, and my job is like eight hours of computer every day, you know? So um, it's really making me detox after work in this Lent. I really specifically said like, when I'm not working, phone goes on a table, I leave the ringer on, I step away, you know? Um, and that, that gives me like a renewed sense of like, you can have control over technology. And so I think the thing that's really changed my mind about this this field of service I'm doing where I'm working at a computer eight hours a day is it, it reaffirms it like technology can be a good thing. Like you and I are going to share good things over technology right now. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just a call for us to uh, to be stewards of technology, right? To, to make technology serve us and not to be servants of technology, not to be slaves to tech as it often is. Um, not going to say I do that well, um, but I'm learning. So I don't know, that's something I learned about, yeah, uh, myself in the world through the job I'm doing currently. Yeah. Makes sense. I like that steward of technology. They, I mean, technology can serve, yeah. serve us so well if we use it. Right. Yeah. Right. We just need to not be slaves to it, you know. Amen to that. So can you, let's start also with a prayer. Would you mind leading us into prayer? Yeah. I'd love to lead us in prayer. Here we go, man. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, come, Lord, send your spirit upon us. Fill our hearts. Uh, build us up for your kingdom, Lord. Thank you for bringing Alejandro and I together here. Thank you for everyone watching this. Um, you know, as we strive, as we work to build up a shared kingdom, kingdom of heaven, and, and bring about its glory here on earth. Uh, just let us rejoice um, in that glory at this time of Lent. Uh, especially let us rejoice in our brokenness, Father, remembering that through the cracks in our facade, your light shines through. We don't need to be perfect because you're perfect for us. And uh, so let us rejoice in our brokenness. Let us be humbled. Let us be open to you. Um, and please send your spirit to open all our hearts. Uh, thank you for this time, Father. And we say glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Jude, Daddyus, pray for us. Amen. Pray for us. He gets a shout out every time. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. So I used to say, man, St. Jude Daddy's, if you don't know, he's the patron saint of hopeless causes. Um, so like bad situations. And uh, I used to do job interviews where people would ask me to like say a prayer first. And I would always say like, hey, St. Jude Daddy's, pray for us, ask for his intercession. And people always were like, oh, are you that worried? Like, do you think you're that bad of a candidate that you need to ask for his help? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's all okay. I just really like the guy. So how did you guys first encounter him? Uh, well, I'm actually a convert to the faith. So, um, 
I, you know, man, I remember reading, uh, you know, so St. Jude's Children's Hospital is a, uh, it's a pretty popular like appellation of his. Um, and I just remember reading about that when I wasn't Catholic and something about that stuck with me. And so um, when I, when I came and joined the faith, you know, you have to choose a confirmation saint. Um, and aside from being like one of like the three saints that I knew, um, I was at a point in my life, you know, I was like a young mopey teenager. I was 17. And I felt like I was a hopeless cause myself. So I kind of thought it was like some poetic justice there. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's why I chose. Awesome. Well, I mean, it, I love it. I mean, your prayer was great. You've come far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all through God. Amen. Amen. So Seton Education Partners, I got to meet you guys at the SEEK mm-hmm. conference down here in Miami at UM campus. And I was just walking around the, the, the tables, meeting people. And then I came across you guys. A very interesting concept. Would you mind telling us what you guys do? What is Seton Education? Yeah. So Seton Education Partners is a, a nonprofit Catholic organization. Um, we, uh, we say we're Catholic inspired. We have people who are non-Catholic work for us, some, some even non-Christian, but uh, everyone who works for us feels aligned to our mission. And our mission is that we are a response um, to the closing of Catholic schools and the loss of educational opportunities in inner city America. So, you know, Alejandro, I'm sure you, um, you know, are familiar with the, with the model and the concept of Catholic education. You know, uh, back in like the beginning of the 20th century, uh, you know, a lot about Catholic education, it was, it was there to serve. It was there for the poor. It was there for immigrants. It was there for people who maybe didn't have um, the same opportunities as, you know, the rest of us. And Catholic schools were often uh, serviced and staffed by religious too, um, especially like nuns, brothers, clergy. And we had a wealth of vocations back then. So, so it was easier to staff. Monetary concerns were different. Um, since the 1960s, you know, post-Vatican II, uh, there's been, you know, a dramatic decrease in vocations. The, the way that public education works is different. Funding structures have changed. Schools have become much, much, much more expensive. And um, that's really taken its impact on Catholic schools. So, you know, over a thousand Catholic schools every decade have closed in America. Uh, this last decade, it's been 1,500. So it's only increasing. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't good parochial schools that are still out there. Um, and there's still Catholic schools open. But, uh, you know, they're staying in areas, they're more affluent areas. Uh, upper class areas of cities, suburban areas with a little more money where, where people can actually afford tuition. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those schools either. Like we love parochial schools. I used to be a parochial school teacher, um, but there are a lot of Catholic schools out there that even where they do still exist. Um, the problem is that like, they're not always holistically Catholic. Uh, they might be about like, hey, we have a great education. We have disciplined classrooms. We have good sports. We're going to try and get you to college. Um, and Seton Education Partners asserts that first and foremost, the purpose of schooling is to help get you to heaven, to know, love, and serve God. So we're trying to answer those two things. One, Catholic schools have closed down in inner city America, and Catholic schools that are still around aren't always very Catholic. So we're saying, how do we get really good Catholic schools, right, um, where we teach like a holistic, authentic full child education that prioritizes the faith and how do we do that in a way that's accessible to uh families in inner city america um and so there's a lot of ways we could do that and you know i'm happy to explain those more but we manage a series of charter schools and catholic schools and we always do that in states uh where we can receive public funding so i don't know alejandro are you familiar with charter schools at all the concepts 
I was familiar with the word, but I didn't know exactly what it was because here in yeah. South Florida, in Florida, we have a lot of charter schools yeah. in, yeah, yeah. in, in Miami-Dade County down here. So, but for listeners that I'm not familiar with the concept okay. of a charter school. Yeah. And it's been in the news more recently. So, and it's sort of a contentious subject at times, but charter schools, they receive public funding. So government tax dollars funded. Um, they're a private charter though. So the curriculum, the education, the management looks a little different. And so um, as a charter school, for instance, we started in New York City because in the 2008, 2009 financial recession, there were over 150 Catholic schools and parishes closing that year alone. And the poorest, um, and you know, really areas that were of great need, the most impoverished areas. Um, and so our goal is like, we're gonna come down there with a charter school. Um, this provides some government funding for families that might not have, uh, you know, extra, extra cash for tuition. Uh, but there are some restrictions and they're healthy restrictions. Uh, the fact of the matter is that we have to um, abide by separation of church and state. So we actually can't in our charter schools during the day um, be explicitly religious. We can't favor Catholicism. Um, and so we don't. Uh, what we do is we don't teach anything that's contrary to the faith. Uh, we teach natural law, human dignity. We have a classically inspired curriculum. We're like really robust um, virtue formation, both for our students, for our staff, and for our teachers. Um, it's there to inculcate the virtues. And then what we do provide at those charter schools is an optional after-school program. Um, and that, that, that program is Catholic. And so because it's optional, because parents have the choice, we respect the parents' choice. If they don't want religious education, they don't have to have it. If they do choose it, it's there for them. It's there for the families. And so that's where we actually teach like a robust catechism and theology course. Uh, we do get kids like after school care. Um, you know, they get some a snack with us. They get to be involved with sports as well, exercise. So it's not just religion, but it's a Catholic after school program. Uh, we actually call it an extended day program, but that doesn't matter. So yeah, so that's sort of how we combine, you know, accessible public education with an accessible after-school program that's there for the parents who really want to engage with it. And and you, what role do you play? You mentioned a recruiter and you recruit, what are you uh, recruiting? So I recruit for um, the Catholic side of our schools. Um, so we have a missionary program, it's missionary educators called Seton teaching fellows. And our Satan teaching fellows are these um, wonderful young men and women who are on fire about their faith and they want to give, they want to share. And specifically, they want to share that faith in an educational setting. So we have full-time teachers at our charter schools. Um, we also manage a couple Catholic schools, diocesan schools. Um, and at all those schools, we have full-time teachers that are employed by the school. You know, they're teaching math, science, English, history, gym, music, art. Those are full-time teachers. Um, our seat and teaching fellows, they get to come in and they get to meet the students where they're at. So they're not, they're not teacher aides, um, but they are, they're there to assist and sort of be the putty that fills in the cracks because um, while the teaching is a beautiful profession and like, it's a noble thing. Uh, sometimes a teacher is alone with 30 kids in a room, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, a teacher's watching 15 kids at once. And so you have, they have a responsibility to be teaching the class. Um, and our student teaching fellows get to teach the individual. So because there's another adult or two adults in the room with our co-teaching model, these seat and teaching fellows can come in and they get to do a lot of like small group instruction. They get to do push-ins and pull-outs. They get to work with students who are maybe um, lower in something. They get to challenge students who are maybe higher than the other students in an academic field. And they get to really push them in those small one, two, three student you know, groupings. Um, they're also there to like build a personal relationship. And so these fellows throughout the day, 
support in our classrooms, support in our offices, and they they're there to like give the kids what they need in terms of academic instruction, um, you know, discipline management, whatever we can do to support. After school, our missionaries take those relationships they've been building during the day, um, really getting to know these kids and talking about that that great classically inspired education we give, and they get to say, "This is where it points to." It points to God. It points to the truth of his church. And so they become a full-time teacher and they teach our theology classes. So most of our senior teaching fellows um, are teaching maybe like two theology classes a day in our extended programs. Um, if there's a senior teaching fellow at a Catholic school, obviously they teach during the day. Um, but the idea okay. is they're when they're not teaching theology, they are supporting our staff. They're meeting the kids where they're at um, to provide whatever that student needs, you know. Where are you guys located? We are currently, um, so we started in uh, the South Bronx in New York City. Mm -hmm. We had a couple schools there, and then we expanded to the North Bronx. So we have four charters in New York. It's going to be eight schools, four elementary schools, and four middle schools once we're at maximum capacity. A couple of years back, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. That's a voucher state, so we can continue to um, provide accessible education. Uh, in Ohio, we actually manage a Catholic school there called Romero Academy at Resurrection. Same model, same principles, same virtue formation, same like robust um, curriculum. You know, we're, we're competitive, we care about education, but we get to be holistically Catholic there. Uh, next year, we're going to be moving to Texas. So we're actually gonna be in the Rio Grande Valley uh, nice. down in Mission, Texas. Uh, and there's, a, there's just a great need um, for quality schools down there. There's a very Catholic populace. Um, it's a hugely Catholic diocese right on the border of Mexico and Texas. And um, we just felt like there was um, there was a lack of educational opportunities there. We had a, a state and a diocese that was willing to work with us. And so we're going to go down there to provide parents with an alternate, like an alternative education. Um, specifically in Texas, once again, like same principles, same curriculum, but we're actually going to be a dual language school. So we're going to teach half the day in Spanish, half the day in English, um, which is an awesome opportunity because uh, the plan is no matter what your background, uh, if our kids are with us K through fifth grade, the goal is that they are bilingual and fluent uh, by grade five in both English and Spanish. So, which is like a necessary thing, um, you know, for students in this day and age. If I wanted to become a, a missionary or do I need to be local? Do I need to be local? Or I had two friends. Who are yeah. part of who are part of the Opus Dei here down down here in South Florida, and they did one year of teaching abroad in Spain. They loved it. Oh, really? One of them yeah. is back, and one of them is staying. Is it is this something that people can do? Let's say somebody in Europe is listening. Oh man, I want to go teach in America. Yeah. Can can they do that with you guys? That's a great question. Um, the answer for a year. is for a year. yes, maybe. Um. So as, as far as like foreign applicants go, I, I do think we have um, the capacity to extend certain like uh, student pieces. And I, as far as I know, um, we are working on opportunities to like um, sponsor work visas. So hopefully within a year or two, that's totally open to anyone, even if they're not local to America. Um, if you are an American citizen or if you already have like a student visa or a work visa, it's effective. Um, you're absolutely eligible to apply. Uh, the big thing we're about is that we um, we live where we serve. So we don't just come down into these neighborhoods and serve during the day. And then like our missionaries actually get on a bus and they go back to, uh, you know, upside upstate New York or something. We live where we serve. And so that means that we promise all of our teaching fellows, they're going to live 
within walking distance of their school, um, especially in areas because like public transit is an option, uh, especially in expensive states uh, like New York City, expensive cities where like you probably don't want to bring a car. Um, but we also we want to provide that opportunity because you should like put your money where your mouth is. You should walk the walk. Uh, yeah, we're there to evangelize students. We're there to serve them and their needs. But we want to revitalize the parishes, right? We want to. Um, we want to be a fixture in the community. Like we want to share Christ's love with everyone we encounter on the street, in the stores, at the bodega, um, at the laundromat, right? Anywhere you go. Um, and so all of our Seton Teaching Fellows live in an intentional community. They actually uh, live in, like this intentional community means that missionaries live together. Mm-hmm. And so there might be four or five uh, men or women, we do have gendered communities, live within walking distance of the school. Um, and so they, they go to work together uh, and they're not cloistered. They have their free time. They're adults. They're allowed to, you know, go the places they please. But we have a couple commitments that say you're going to pray together. You're going to eat together. You're going to serve together. Um, you're there to grow in your faith together, attend mass and um, really push each other to be like as Christ like as you possibly can. Uh, so a couple of days a week, they have commitments that they're going to come together in intentional community. So uh, it's also a support system because you might, you know, we do ask our fellows like to be open if they apply. Um, to maybe going to a new community that they haven't served in before. And we're going to give them uh, a community and support and um, the formation they need to, to be successful, um, to be safe and to teach our students well. Te- teaching itself is uh, challenging as well. It can be. <laughs> yeah. It can be. I mean, I, I'm not a full-time teacher. I teach CCD on, on the weekends, but my girlfriend, really? she's a full-time teacher. Full-time oh, teacher. What she teach? She teaches uh, kids with dyslexia down here in a, spe- oh, in a, in a okay. specialty school. So like school. speech therapy? Well, or she teaches regular targeted? Okay. science, math, reading, English. Oh, uh, but I see the, all the kids in the school are dyslexic. So the education uh, is tailored to them. It's a small school down here. In, in, That's really cool. In, I in love South that. Florida, yeah. it's well, you know, cool. yeah, I, I think teaching is the hardest job. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So like a lot of respect. Anyone who's a teacher out there, thank you for your service. I know yeah. it's not easy. Thank you um, for your service. <laughs> and it's been even crazier since, you know, COVID. I don't know, the last three years. I, I was a teacher when COVID hit and then the year after. Um, and yeah, I know what it's like. Hasn't been easy. So thank you for your service. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Jacob, thank you for your service. Uh, so these missionary positions, are these like job uh-huh. jobs? Are this, how long do they last as long as yeah. I want? Or is this like a temporary thing? It's a great question. Am I getting paid? Um, is it like out of the kindness of my heart? How does that? Awesome. Uh, it is out of the kindness of your heart, but you do get paid. So it goes both ways. Um, by Jesus? By, well, we, Jesus. yes, our reward is in heaven. All the <laughs> like we are, we are storing up gold there. Uh, but we do actually, yeah, we do provide you with payment as well. So, you know, too, if your wife te- or your girlfriend's a teacher that um, teachers don't make a lot to begin with yeah. so you know people who people who normally want to teach don't do it because they're like well, i'm gonna get rich on this i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna make out like a bandit uh so it's normally people who are okay with making less money we're we're not a teacher training program but our ministry is education right mm-hmm. so our fellows are in schools you know five days a week all day um the reason we're so explicitly that it's a missionary program is because while our ministry is education, our mission is evangelization. We're there to spread the word of God. We're there to love others as Christ. Uh, and we're not there to like, fix anyone. Uh, we're not going to communities. We're not um, coming to the underserved communities because we think we're better or because we're going to fix a problem. Like uh, we're, it's, we're seriously broken too. 
We're mm. just there to love the person in front of us. Um, the fact of the matter is that every community in America is deeply broken and deeply full of sin and, you know, separated from God. It just so happens that uh, communities that are uh, without wealth, uh, communities where there's less money, uh, suffering becomes a little more visible, right? Mm. Uh, but I, you know, and you probably know this, Alejandro, and in, in the richest parts of the cities in affluent suburbs, there's suffering there too, right? There's there's lots of spiritual poverty. Um, it just looks different, right? Like it can be covered up with money. So so we come down. We're there to serve as missionaries. We're there to love. Uh, unlike other missionary programs, there is no fundraising required. Uh, that's because we also want to make it accessible for the missionaries. We do provide you with what I think is a generous stipend, but most people would say modest. I think the fact that you get paid to be a missionary is awesome. Yeah. Uh, you also you also don't have to worry about housing because we because you live in this intentional community, this this cornerstone of our uh, program. You don't have to worry about paying for a house, so You're we guarantee you have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and man, listen, in places like New York, that's huge. Um, yeah. Not having to pay for a house in New York is incredible. Um, I was a missionary with Seton in 2018, and then I went to be a full-time teacher. I taught at a parochial school, and uh, you know I love my year with Seton, but I, I, I moved to Denver to be with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Uh, it was a well-discerned location, obviously. Like, good call. Uh, love good. the woman. So, congratulations. I went out there. Thank you. Um, and when I was teaching in Denver, paying for you know a car, health insurance, rent, all these other things. I made like less money. I had less money left over at the end of the month than I did when I got a stipend, but didn't have to worry about housing. So I don't know. That's a fun fact. Yeah. um, No fundraising required. We don't require experience um, with education. A lot of people who come to us, we get a lot of um, young people who were maybe like education majors in college. They've done you know, CCD stuff. They've taught catechism before. They've done summers of totus tuus. They've done, you know, um, some sort of like teacher training, uh, but it's not required. Uh, once again, we want to make it accessible. And so we are really intentional about taking care of our teachers. We provide them formation. We provide our seat and teaching fellows with weekly coaching, which is huge. Um, it, that's such a big thing, Alejandro. I don't, maybe your wife, or I'm sorry, your girlfriend has talked about this. But um, a lot of schools will just kind of throw teachers in there and say, like, it's your first year. There's some books upstairs. Go for it. You know, you're in charge of the classroom. We'll check on you in a month. Right. Yeah. And that's not fair. Right. That's not fair to the students. That's not fair to the young person. Um, We we want them to be coached. We want them to be formed well. We want to teach them. And you you need to learn how to teach. You don't just know it. It's a skill. It's a craft. It is developed. And that doesn't mean that you need to be perfect off the bat. Um, But teacher burnout's a real thing. If you give a teacher, you know, a full class schedule with no experience, no coaching, no strong curriculum, um, they're going to burn out. It's, it's really hard. It's a really, really hard job. And on top of like the emotional strain of trying to love your students so well every day. And so uh, I think a great benefit of the program, regardless of whether you're experienced in education or not, is that you're going to be introduced into what good teaching looks like. You'll only have to worry about teaching maybe one or two classes a day. You only have to lesson plan you know, a couple lessons a week. And you really get to focus on like doing that class really well, loving those kids in front of you as well as you can, uh, giving all of yourself to that, becoming a better teacher. And you don't have this like stress of 25 classes a week, these papers to grade, all this homework, right? Uh, and so it's, it's a lot more manageable for young people who have never taught before. They sort of get to be eased into it and they're getting this professional coaching the whole time so that they 
have the they have the tips, they have the tricks, they have the skills they need to succeed in the classroom. Uh, they have people they they can go to for help, and they're not going to be overwhelmed. They're not going to be stressed out. They're not going to leave the industry, um, you know, a year after starting. So uh, that's another thing. Basically, I always say no fundraising, no experience required, only the call to serve. Uh, we just want you to love Jesus, and we want you to want to share Him with others. That's awesome, especially the fundraising part. Sometimes it's like, hey. Yeah. Hey, now on your spare time. Uh, <laughs> it's scary. I, you know, I oh, fundraising probably wouldn't have done another mission if I knew there was fundraising involved, you know, um, when it's one of the reasons I felt called is I knew I didn't have to worry about that. And especially we, we take many people who are post-grads. Some people haven't finished college and they're taking a year off or something, mm-hmm. but a lot of the people who come to serve with us are seniors in college. And we don't want you to be stressed about fundraising your senior year. You know, we want you to like college, is a gift. It needs to be used well, but it's a gift for your education, for your community, your prayer life, your social life. Like you're there to be formed. So we want you to spend your senior year like present, loving the people in front of you, you know, cultivating good friendships, taking time to be with God, to pray with God, to do your classes well, to graduate well and feel like, um, you know, you did a good job with, you know, the vocation of being a student that was placed before you for a year. So yeah, no fundraising. We just want you to like enter in the service when the time comes. Well, it sounds like you make it easy to serve your community in, 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 a, I know, think so. in a well-rounded Catholic <laughs> environment. So, Yeah. Um, most people do serve for a year. Um, some okay. people serve for two years as a fellow. We have a lot of great opportunities for people who do like a year of service for us. If they want to stay on, they can. We, have, um, we, we are always hiring our fellows to be full-time teachers. We're always hiring network positions. We do sort of treat it as like a one- to two-year role, though, Alejandro, okay. because you know, um, it's a year of service. Like we understand it's a transitional period and we take our faith formation really seriously. Actually, our fellows are, they're doing Marian prayer groups. They're doing Bible studies. Um, they're doing book clubs with each other. They are, um, really praying, getting spiritual direction. It's a year of spiritual growth. And so because we know it's transitive, it's a chance for you to really enter into your vocation, discern, like, where is God calling you to next? Cause we don't want you to be a seat and teaching fellow forever. You should be moving on to something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. When we're talking about a fellow, since we separated, you know, the, the actual charter school work and yeah. the after school program, that's a fellow working both. Yes. Um, okay. So our fellows run our after school program, right? That is where they are going to be the full time teachers. So uh, generally speaking, you know, our at our Catholic school and our charter schools, we have full time teachers. They show up in the morning when school starts. They're there with the kids. Oftentimes, our fellows will start school a little bit later. Um, they come in you know, partway through the morning because they're going to stay at school later to run the after-school program. Okay. Um, they're there, they help during the day Got at, it. you know, three o'clock, four o'clock, whenever school ends, you know, our, our teachers, like sometimes they have meetings, but for the most part, like you're a teacher, you're good to go. So they're not in charge of the classroom anymore. The fellows take over and they're going to run the theology classes. And we have, you know, we have coaches on site. There's other people there with the fellows. Um, and there's other people, you know, running athletics and things uh-huh. like that. But uh, that is when our fellows become the full-time teachers is in uh, our extended day program, which we call El Camino, um, as you know, like the way, right? Uh, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So talking about the other aspect of, of yeah. Seton, how does Seton expand? Is it exclusively the organization who chooses where to go? Or do you guys partner with locals like, hey, I'm a local oh, yeah. Catholic in a community, bring sitting down here to South Florida. I want to bring down your model. How does that work? I mean, I think we're pretty prayerful about it. It really is like, where is there a need? 
um, and where is there, you know, the right um, sort of like uh, educational like laws and opportunities for us okay. to serve. So we are we're in the states we're in because we can support the model, you know, um, that, that that we currently afford. Like we're we're looking at expanding in other places. We don't want to expand too quickly because we also yeah. want to make sure that we're doing our schools well, right? Um, but when we go somewhere, it is the, there needs to be a need. Um, and we do partner with the diocese. Like we are, um, we're so connected with the diocese because we don't have our own like parishes and our own chaplains. A big part of what we do with El Camino is uh, aside from just like catechism, it's, it's faith formation. We're evangelizing from the ground up, but we're also providing the sacraments. So we have to work with local priests to do, you know, baptism. We have to work with local priests for confirmation for first communion. Um, Cause we do, you know, provide that sort of CCD course as well. I think we do it really well. Uh, when we started in New York City, we had the permission of Cardinal Dolan, right, of, of New York City, and you know he's been he's been a great partner. He's been so so good to us, um, you know. So we're actually working in old Catholic school buildings a lot of the time, whether they're like old rectories, um, they're old uh, convents, they're old uh, actual Catholic schools, and. Um, we're doing that so we can like revitalize them. like because like we said they closed down and mm. archdiocese isn't using them and so we're saying hey um if you're open to it we'd be willing to provide this for you know um the church faithful in the area we are not in contention alejandro with like parochial schools so we're not trying to like be a model that competes with parochial schools parochial schools are great um we're going to the places where parochial schools have closed down and the diocese says hey we haven't been able to keep these schools open we see that you guys have a model. Would you like to come in and be a part of this? Mm. So, um, yeah, we, we, we always respect the church and we always respect the church authority. And um, we're a lay organization, but we want to work with the, you know, with the church wherever we go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about your experience serving in the community. I mean, service is part of what we're called to do. And you are yeah. you are in the weeds. You are you're in the front lines. So tell us a little I, bit. Uh, yeah, I'm a little removed these days. I work remotely, um, which you know we we discern like my family. We moved because uh, your vocation comes first. You know, family mm. comes first. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I used to definitely be in the weeds of it. Um, I did three years in inner city education. Um, I was a missionary and a teacher with uh, um, Seton at a school called Bria. Uh, Bria Public Charter in New York. And then I was at a parochial school in Denver for two years. Um, totally changed my life to be a teacher, uh, to be a missionary, to be a you know community volunteer. Um, it was funny because like the one thing, Alejandro, the one thing I said I would never do is be a teacher. I told God like that is the one job I will not do. So yeah, I always tell people like, don't tell God you will not do something because he'll make you do it. He's, he's got a wild sense of humor. Um, I actually grew up like we moved a lot in my family. I started a lot of schools. I, I had done like homeschool, charter school, public school, private school. Um, like every couple of years, sometimes multiple times a year, we were in like a new school. We moved a lot. Um, and so like I hated being the new kid all the time. And honestly, I ended up in a lot of schools where I felt like there wasn't a good education. Right. And um, you know, it's just the fact of the matter is that like a lot of kids are, are bored. A lot of kids are not being challenged. Like mm. there's not academically rigorous content out there. Um, there's not always good student culture. A lot of kids just get like lost in the weeds, you know? Um, and so I hated school. 
And I was like, why would anyone want to stay around in school? And I remembered being in like high school, they expect a lot of people to know what they want to do when they grow up, which is crazy that we expect people to like say, oh, I want to be an astronaut when I grow yeah. up. I want to be a carpenter. I want to, I want to be a biochemist. Um, Cause who knows where life is going to take you. Uh, people in college don't even know how often do we like get on a totally different path. So one day they asked me like, what is the one job you would never do? And I was like, teacher, like hands down. Would not right, touch off, it. right as a teacher. Yeah, like, like no hesitation. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it before either. But as soon as they said it, I was like, there's no way I'd be a teacher. That's awful. Um, I ended up going to uh, college and I was kind of forced into it. Um, like I think a lot of young people are. It's just like the expectation. You're told to do it. Um, society kind of pushes you towards it. Parents push you towards it. So um, I ended up in college for two years, two and a half years. Um, and I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I uh, College is a weird time because if you're not mature about it, um, like there's no responsibility. You know, you don't have a reason to do it well. Um, and it's, it's kind of a selfish thing because it's just about you. Like, oh, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to further my position in life. I'm going to become smarter for myself. And education is a great thing. Like being formed into a better, more virtuous person through good education is, is amazing. But most people aren't doing it for that reason, right? Most people don't come to college with that idea in mind. So I actually dropped out of college. Um, and, you know, as I had mentioned, I was a convert, um, but I was pretty ill-formed. I kind of got pushed into that too. Uh, I joined the church when I was 17. And so um, I hadn't really had like a good confession. I had, like one bad confession was it. Uh, didn't understand like basic tenets of the church was pretty mm -hmm. shaky on things like the real presence, you know, was taking Eucharist when I did go to church and like states of mortal sin, didn't really care or think about it. And I hadn't even like, yeah, I didn't even know it was a problem, you know? Um, and I quickly fell away from the church because of that. Um, I really rejected God. And so I said, like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this. I was sort of sympathetic to the Catholic church among Christian churches. But like, as, as far as Christianity went, I didn't believe that God was real, you know? And so I've been pushed into religion. I've been pushed into college and I like walked away from it. And so I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do. So I was going to pursue my own plans. Um, I was going to be a rock star, Alejandro. I, was, I went out to California. I lived in Los Angeles. I was going to like play some rock and roll music. I was a guitar player. Um, thought that was going to be something real. And um, I ended up just like living like a really, like a really petty, debaucherous life of sin. Um, and then ended up like moving on from that. I actually spent like six months living out of my car. I was homeless for a while. Made some really poor financial decisions, made poor friends, just like was a very miserable person. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't need to go into the whole gist of it, but, but eventually God called me out of that in a really miraculous way. Um, and one of the ways he called me out of that is he, he sort of got me to come back to school and say, well, let's try and do this for the right reason. Um, Cause maybe if I can do something I don't like for the right reasons, maybe I can do the things I want to do better. And so I came back to school. I like changed my majors. I got into English uh, cause I wanted to read good books. Um, and I really started to experience like uh, Western canon classical education. I got to see the movement of church in history. I met some really good Catholics. Um, I met a really good Catholic priest. I had a, like the first good confession in my life and I made the choice to come back to the church. Uh, and when I was like 23, I came back to the church. It totally changed my life. Um, God really saved me like from, from myself. And I was so grateful. Uh, it was about that time that I got involved. I was really interested in the writings of St. Thomas More. I'd taken a class on him actually. And he was like this excellent lay servant. Cause uh, you know, if you're not familiar with St. Thomas More, check him out, but he's a pretty big name in the church. And he's someone who gave everything he had 
was willing to die. Uh, you know, he was martyred for like the controversy surrounding the Church of England and King Henry VIII and Berlin, that whole uh, historical drama. And he was so willing to like do whatever it took in accordance with his conscience to serve others. And, and yet he felt like I have this responsibility. And I realized with service is that um, there's really only two options you have. We're called to service and you can choose to serve yourself and your desires and in doing so become a slave to your passions and your sin and your vices, or you could serve others and you could serve God. You could serve the church. You could serve his people. And in doing so, that's where you find real freedom. You know, that's where happiness actually is. That's the cross, um, dying to yourself to serve others. And I didn't really understand like what this meant or what this looked like, but I was like, all right, what, like, what the hell? Let's try this. I, you know, I tried serving myself. I was miserable. Uh, let's try and serve others. Let's do what God wants. And so this concept of like, pick up the cross, follow me. I was like, where do you even start with that? What does that look like? God doesn't actually want me to like hoist wood up in the air and carry it around town. Like that's not serving him. At least that wasn't what I was called to. And I could tell that much, Alejandro. So uh, people were always talking about just give everything to Jesus, surrender yourself, deny yourself, pick up the cross. And I was like, well, how do you do that? What's the practical way? What does that look like in my life? And so I had to pray every single day, God, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. You know, just tell me. And I entered into this like state of discernment, though I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was waiting the whole time for like the burning bush right? Like raised from heaven. Like God was going to come down and be like, Jake, this is what you're going to do now. Like, you open your closet and, and then it's like, your yeah, lawn, Jesus. your clothes are on fire. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, some Yahweh calling out to me, like, you don't get it. That's, that is reserved for a few people. And I wasn't one of those chosen. And so, um, you know, God was, was influencing me in subtle ways. And I started to realize that like, through this, you know, the whisper, um, a lot of us are supposed to be like Elijah and hear the whisper in the mountains. And I started hearing this whisper, like, Jake, you need to be a teacher. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That is not what I wanted to do. Like anything else, God. And I remember that prayer. I was like, tell me, I, I said I would do anything if you just told me. Um, and so uh, I, I had encountered Seton. Um, I'd applied to be a Seton teaching fellow. I'd gone out and visited our schools in New York. I saw the area where we serve. I, um, had a fantastic time meeting like the missionaries there, the teachers, principals, the kids, everyone who was like part of this mission. Um, and I kind of left and they, they gave me a job offer. I said, no, <laughs> I said, actually, I'm not interested. I lied and said, like, I prayed about it. Um, but I really just wanted to like pursue my own goals. Um, no idea where I was supposed to be in life. Uh, and then a couple of days later, I felt extremely guilty. I was reflecting yeah. on it. I, I actually prayed on it and I felt so guilty because I realized that I was missing this opportunity to give of myself in a way that I never had before. And this is what's beautiful about service. You asked me how service changed my life, Alejandro. It gave me a space to actually make everything not about me. And it's actually really hard to find that. It's really hard to find like a job or a program or like a system of supports that allows you to, without thinking about anything, just give everything to Christ all the time. Um, in a really intentional way. Now, anything can be offered up to God. Any vocation is offered up to God. Like I'm a parent now, I'm a husband. Um, like that, that is a constant, you know, state of giving. Uh, I don't always do it well, but you know, there's also nothing that like ties you more to the world than a wife and children. You know, I, I cannot like give of myself completely to other people in like holistic service because I need to holistically be serving my family. And that becomes like my vocation. So for young people who are like leaving college, just graduated, don't have a vocation yet, don't know where they're supposed to be in life, to give up a year or two in service to the church is like this amazing, beautiful gift. 
And I went to do it and it fundamentally changed the way I looked at the world. Um, it was the most peace I'd ever felt in my life up to that point. I grew so much in my faith. I went to, uh, you know, this impoverished neighborhood, um, the city I did not want to be in, did not, I lived in Los Angeles, an inner city neighborhood. I lived in Denver, had spent some time in Washington, DC, where my dad was living. I was like, so over cities. Um, didn't want to live in a dirty, stinky city. I didn't really want to be in the school. I didn't know if I was like qualified to even talk about the faith. I've been Catholic for like less than a year, basically. Uh, had no idea if I was going to be able to give. And God gave me everything. Like I didn't need to give anything because it was coming from him, right? It didn't matter that I was lacking. It didn't matter that I didn't have anything worthwhile. God gave me the graces I needed. And I was never so at peace. And I was at peace because it was the first time where I said, just like, I could completely say, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. I know I'm doing God's will. I surrender it all to you. Um, and that's what I was looking for. That was the beauty uh, is that I could just give it all to God. And I loved it. It was a beautiful year. God called me to teach for another two years. And then I discerned, you know, like I, I learned so much and I, I see so clearly as path for me now, the things I learned, um, the way I was influenced by that. I learned more as a teacher than I ever did. I learned more from the kids than I taught them, I think. Um, and it, it, it really just like put me in a place where I needed to be. Uh, and then I, you know, after three years of that service, discerned to like leave education as a teacher. And now I get to work for, um, you know, still the mission of urban education, the mission of evangelization, but I get to do it from a different, um, you know, from a network role. So I really appreciate that. So I'm still on board. I'm still doing the same mission. It just looks a little different these days. Um, I'm not in the weeds as much, so to speak, you know, but you're, you're in it, you know, it sounds like in, it, yeah. in your, in your surrender to the gods, to God's will and, and, and desire is where you find peace. Yeah. I mean, I know he wants me to be here right now. Um, right. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's a piece. I don't know. Alejandro, like, Amen. Having a vocation is a beautiful thing too, because you can wake up every day and say, like, I know I'm supposed to be here. We often forget it, but like if at the end of the day I do the best I can to love my wife and help her get to heaven, uh, to teach my children right from wrong, and to do my job well, like that's a good day. That's all that matters, you know. So it's I don't know. I would encourage more people, especially young people, to uh really discern like surrendering yourself to the Lord in that way. I mean, it's the call of the church. I think a lot of people just like, it's so scary, uh, especially in this world where we're told that we can do anything we want, be anything we want. And we, we, it seems like we have so much freedom, you know? But uh, the only thing that's really going to make you feel free, the only true freedom is like giving everything to God. And it's scary and it's hard to do, but once you take that plunge, man, uh, <laughs> it changes everything. Yeah, if we learned how to surrender more, yeah. I, think it, we, I think it will be easier. For, for We're in Lent, man. This is this is the time to do it. You know? <laughs> this is the time to do it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So what a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. Sorry, just one more thing. No. Someone ahead, told please. me yesterday that Lent. We often think Lent is like a time to remove ourselves, right? Mm. To step back and deny ourselves of things, which is mm. true. But Lent is actually a, it's an invitation to live life more fully, right? Because life is actually lived in the cross, and Lent is a chance to like pick up the cross and everything you do more intentionally, like enter into um, the act of denying yourself. Right. And I always thought about, it's always seemed like this remove, but when it's actually like entering into life, it's more deeply, more richly, more fully living life. So this is, yeah, this is the time to do it, man. I agree. I agree. A lot of, we do a lot of retreats in my church for, oh, really? for people. Yeah. It, it, the retreat specifically for individuals who want to re-encounter Christ or want to re-encounter their faith. So it's, it's nice when people want to do Lent for the first time is all about, yeah, 
the typical, no chocolate, no coffee, no social media. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's great. And I agree with Why? you. I am all about like, what else can you add? You know, how can you enrich your engagement with the Lord, your, your education of, of, of the word better understanding so that you can have a more fulfilling and enriching experience in yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. And giving up chocolate's all right, but I think you should be asking yourself, is this going to get me closer to God? Or is this just like, well, I'll give up chocolate, what the heck? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This has been a great conversation, uh, Jacob. Tell us, how can we find more information about uh, you, the, the school, the project? Yeah. Uh, I mean, very simply, seatonpartners.org, all lowercase, all one word, um, has everything we have there. Um, you can look up Seton Teaching Fellows too. We have a Seton Teaching Fellows Instagram, which is awesome, and you should check it out. Um, any young men who are interested, we're actually doing a men's discernment retreat, uh, Palm Sunday weekend. That's April eighth through tenth. Uh, it's going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. But if like any young guys are watching and they're interested in like um, discerning, you know, religious life, the priesthood, a vocation, missionary service. If anyone really wants to like see what we do and enter more deeply into discernment, they can come down. We even have travel scholarships in place so it could be 100 free for young guys um they can learn more at our instagram or at our website um you guys can always reach out you'll find our information online you can always email me at jacob.coonrod at seatpartners.org you don't know how to spell my last name though so maybe we'll drop that in the description well you know i'll, yeah. I'll put all the comment all the all these in the, in the comment yeah. section so people won't have to you know, they'll just click on it. No worries. Yeah. So check out our website, check out our social media. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out. We'd love to say hi and just, you know, answer any questions you have. Awesome. Jacob, this yeah. has been great. Thank you so much. And you know what? I know you wanted to be a rock star, but today you are a rock star <laughs> of the show. Looks so a little thank different. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alejandro. It was great talking to you, man. God bless, brother. Same, man. God bless.